morning. That's it. Any children that want to come a little closer, they can, although I would understand why you might be hesitant. All right, I like the brave ones. Good morning, good morning. I'm so excited to be here when Pastor Sam asked me to come and visit. I just had to say yes because I've heard so much about you. Does anyone want to guess what my name is? Good try. But not right now. <laughs> Actually, my name is John Bunyan, and for all the adults in the room that are over the age of 30, I just wanted you to see that the mullet was something that was fashionable way before you had one in the 80s, and it's coming back. It's coming back. No, but my name is John Bunyan, and Pastor Sam asked me to come share a little bit about my life with you, and I want you to know that I am so excited to be here to tell you all about it. I was born a long, long time ago, and most people know about me because of a book that I wrote that people still read today. How many of you have heard of the book called The Pilgrim's Progress? Raise your hand, adults do. A lot of our young people have. It's a very well-known book. I wrote that, and, and I am known for it. I wrote it while I was in prison. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my time in jail in a little while. But, but it is a, a very important book. It's a book that actually they have rewritten for children as well. And it's a book that I would encourage you all to ask your mom and dad to read to you at some point. It's a great story. The Pilgrim's Progress. It's about... The Christian life. It's about the life that your parents want you to live. Pilgrim's Progress isn't the only book I wrote. In fact, I wrote about 58 books, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's, let's start at the beginning. In the year 1628, which is almost 400 years ago, I was born... In England. Does everybody know where England is? Raise your hand if you have an idea. I was born in a town called Bedfordshire, England. My parents' names were Thomas and Margaret Bunyan, and my father worked as a tinker. Have you ever heard the word tinker before? Well, that's a funny word, isn't it? I think it's a funny word. A tinker, and actually when I was a young man, I, I worked as a tinker as well, but what a tinker did was we were people who went around and did repairs to metal utensils in people's house. So if you had a, a, a pot or a pan or a spoon or a ladle that was made out of tin or some other metal and that broke, they would hire the tinker to come to your house and fix it. So it was kind of an important job, but it was a job that, that was done by poor people. My, my mother and father were not wealthy, and, and when I was a young man, I was not wealthy either, but we made our money working as tinkers. 
And it's important to understand that, that most of the things that were in people's houses that they used were made of metal. So there was, there was always work to do. It just didn't pay a whole lot. Now, when I was 16 years old, there was a, a, a war that was going on in England called the English Civil War. And, and the reason that came about because there was conflict between the king who ruled England and the parliament, kind of like your Congress, your senators and, and representatives, the parliament was made up of people who were elected. They were in conflict with one another concerning who should rule England. And so a civil war broke out, and, and when I was 16, I was, I was called to enlist in the army, and I served for about three years. Now, thankfully, I lived in a place where there was not a lot of battles that went on. I never actually saw fighting, but although I did have my life spared at one point, I was called to be on watch duty or sentry duty where you stand and you look out for the bad guys. And, and another person in the army came up and said, you know what, I'll, I'll serve for you your watch. And so this man took my turn to... To, to be on guard, and he was shot and killed. So God spared my life. That, that, that should have been me, and at the time, I did not know who Jesus was. In fact, when I was a young man, I used to sin a lot. I especially liked to, 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 to say bad things, and I even used God's name as a curse. So, so I, did, I was not a Christian. I did not know who God was. I had not asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins. And if I had been on watch, then I would have perished that night. I said I was only in the army for a short time. And, and after about three years, my regiment, my group of soldiers, realized that we weren't really needed anymore. So we just kind of disbanded. And I went back to my job as, as a tinker. And as I was doing my work, I actually met a young woman, another poor person who, 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 who came from a Christian home, and she and I decided to get married. And, and, and she brought two things into the marriage that changed my life. Two books that were her father's that she brought into our marriage that I read several times that God used to begin to, 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 to open my eyes to my need for him. The first book was called the, the Plain Man's Path to Heaven. Now, by plain, it's not talking about how someone dressed, but it's plain was another word for common. How a regular guy gets to heaven. That's what the book was about. And, and the second book that she brought in that, that, that was important, that God used in my life, was called The Practice of Piety. Piety is another word for godliness or, or, or how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, as I read these books, God began to, to make me aware of the seriousness of my sins against God. When I would use God's name as a curse word, I, 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 began, I became aware of the fact that every time I did that, I was, I was bringing dishonor to God's name. And so I became very aware of the seriousness of sin. 
Not long after that, I was in the city and I heard a group of, of poor women who had gathered together in the doorway of a house and they were sitting there talking about the, the greatness of God and the, and, and the way of salvation. And as I listened to them talk, I began to realize I need to, to know more about that. Here are these poor women that, that don't have anything and they spoke with such joy about what God had done for them that I had to know more, know more. So I went to them and I said, tell me more about this Jesus. They said, we will, but we also want to introduce you to our pastor. He was a man by the name of John Gifford who, who, who truly began to, to help me understand what it means to have faith in Jesus. And have faith I did. God opened my eyes, not just to the seriousness of my sin. I felt guilty before I met Pastor Gifford. But after I met him, I, I understood that if we trust Jesus in his perfect life, in, in, in his life that he gave on the cross, bearing the punishment for our sins, and he rose from the grave as the proof that God had accepted his sacrifice. As I came to understand that by trusting in what Jesus had done, my sins would be forgiven, and I would be restored to God, I ran to Jesus in faith. I, I wanted my sins forgiven once my eyes were open. It was a great time. My wife and I didn't have two pennies to rub together to, 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 to be able to pay for the things that we need, but we knew Jesus. We loved Jesus, and we had a, a church family that was important to us, and so we were growing in our faith. In fact, it wasn't long before Pastor Gifford asked me to, to serve as a deacon in the church. And so I began to, 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 to give my time when I wasn't working as a tinker to, to caring for the people of God. And it wasn't long after that that I had my first opportunity to preach. Now, it's important that you understand and, and perhaps you've, you, you've heard from some people in church history before now. But most of them that you've heard about all went to school to be pastors. They had training. They went to, to college where they studied theology or seminary where they learned how to preach and deliver a message. But I didn't have any of those things. I had a very basic education. But when I learned and had the opportunity to preach, God used me in spite of the fact that I had no real training. In fact, people love the idea of a, of a common man preaching to the common people. And word began to spread. And people would come to, to, to hear the messages. In fact, a, a, another pastor who was alive at the same time as me, his name was John Owen, and, and he's written lots of books, and, and perhaps he'll come to visit one day. But he who had studied much and knew the, the languages that the Bible was written in, he said of me, I would give away all my education just to be used of God in the same way that God is using John Bunyan to reach the people for Christ. I was so humbled that, that God would give me that opportunity to preach because I knew that, that I, had, I, I was formerly someone who cursed God with my mouth and now God was allowing me to use my mouth to praise Him. 
and to tell others how they could come to know him through faith in Jesus. Word began to spread, and, and, and I began to have opportunities to preach in other churches, and, and I began to write books simply with the desire to encourage the average Christian to be faithful to the God who would save them. And, and even though I, I wasn't a pastor at the time, I, I began to, to, to speak to many, many Christians. I got the attention of the common people, but unfortunately at that same time, I, I also got the attention of another group of people, the leaders of the Episcopal Church. Now at that time, part of the, 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 the conflict that was going on between uh, the king and parliament also was a religious conflict as well. The Episcopalian Christians were, were those who, 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 who followed the king. They had the king's blessing. They were seen as being the official church of England, but I wasn't Episcopalian. I was, I, I was what was called a nonconformist and would later become a Baptist preacher. And so the king made it to where if you did not have a license to preach, which you could only get through the Episcopal church, and you preached, you were breaking the law. But I could not be silent. At this point, my, my wife and I had had four children together, the first of which her name was Mary. Oh, she was, oh, so sweet but she was born blind you know what it means to be born blind say it out loud what does it mean to be blind? you can't see that's right our eyes are important right we we can't she could not see and so when you have a child that children take a lot of attention from their parents anyway we want to make sure we care really well for you Mom and dad try to, try, try to make sure you have everything that you need and you're eating well and, and that you're cared for, right? Well, it takes a lot more work when your child can't see. And so it was at this time we were trying to care for Mary, who was so, so sweet, that I was arrested for preaching the gospel. I was arrested for preaching without a license. Doesn't that sound funny to you? Nowadays, anybody can stand up and preach the truth. They don't all do it well, but everyone has that opportunity. I was supposed to spend only three months in jail, but those three months became 12 years because I told them I would not stop preaching. Now, being in jail was very difficult for me and for my family. It was hard to not be able to be home and to, and to see my family every day. It was also hard to be away from my church family as well. And I continued to care for the church while in prison through my writing. But it was hard. I suffered in prison. But when it was time for me to finally be released from prison, I was asked to be the pastor of the church in Bedford, where I, which I was happy to do. Now, sadly, during this time as well, my first wife passed away. Actually, right before, just a couple of years before, I was in, arrested for the first time. But God brought a, a, another woman into my life. Her name was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth would would remain my wife. She actually lived longer than I did. But she was a faithful and, and brave woman who fought for me while I was in prison. 
and she cared for my four children with, with my first wife like they were her own. So it seemed like things were going to go smoothly for me, right? Once I was let set up free from prison and it was okay for me to preach again because I was called as the pastor and, and the king had changed his mind about this licensed preaching nonsense. And so I was happy to finally be the pastor of the church in Bedford. But it was only three years later that I was arrested again for preaching without a license. And this time I was in jail for two years. And, and, and again, it was so hard to be away from my family and my church. And, and it was during this time that I wrote the book, Pilgrim's Progress. And rather than trying to explain the book to you, the best way for me to help you understand what, uh, and appreciate the book is, is to say that I wrote it to help people understand what the Christian life is supposed to be like. It's filled with trials and temptations and sorrow, but also joy and victory, and, and most importantly, what is waiting for us when this life comes to an end. Children, I, I could go on and on about my life. My, my life was marked with much suffering, but it was also marked with much joy. I, I could tell you about my family. I could turn you about, tell you about my brave and godly Elizabeth who, who faithfully cared for the family while I was away, who went before the authorities to get me released. I, I could tell you more about my dear daughter Mary, about how she faced life without able, being able to see and, and brought joy to our family. I, I could share to you from, from, the, from the numerous books that, that I've written to encourage you to, to trust Jesus anymore. But instead, dear children, dear church, I, I want to end by sharing with you the great lesson I learned during my life on earth. <clears throat> Now, I don't know if you know this. Hopefully, you've heard your parents talking about this when you leave church in the, each, each Sunday. But Pastor Sam told me he's been preaching from the book of Philippians. Have any of you heard that from your parents? If you haven't, I want you to ask him why not. <clears throat> but who knows where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote his letter to the church in Philippi? Does anybody know? He was in prison, that's right. The Apostle Paul was in prison. So as you would imagine, I, while I was in jail, I took a lot of comfort knowing that one of, uh, of the very men that God called to write his word also spent time in prison. Paul wrote many great letters. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we find the Apostle Paul warning the Philippians about what they would face in life. He, he warns the Philippians to be on guard against anybody who would come into the church trying to teach them that we can receive Jesus' love and forgiveness by doing things, religious acts. It's a very strong warning. Paul says, listen, be on guard against anyone that tells you if you do this, then Jesus will forgive you if, you if you perform a ceremony or you do something in particular with your body. Paul says, no, that, that, that's not how it works. We only are accepted by God through trusting who? Him. Specifically, what was his son's name? 
Jesus. We are only accepted by God when we turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive us for our sins. In fact, Paul makes the case, listen, if anybody could be saved by doing religious things, it would have been me. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, listen, I was born into the right nation. I was born into the right family. I had the the perfect job if it was possible to be right with God through what we do. I I had the right passion and, and, and the right way of living. I did everything that I thought I could do in order to be accepted by God. I had everything going for me and none of it would save me. And that's his point. And then in verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this. He said, but whatever gain I had, and by gain he means everything that he had by, by virtue of, of, of where he was, who he was born into, the family he was born into, and, and the job that he had, and all the religious things he had done. No, no matter what gain that may have looked like, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or the value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now again, from from an earthly perspective, Paul had it all. But he understood that none of those things could save him from his sins. He was willing to give all those things up in order to trust the one who could truly save him. Now, we hear people talk a lot about how much greater it is for us to love God and to know God and to follow God more than we love and follow and desire sin. We hear that a lot, right? It's good to follow God, it's bad to sin. It's good to love God, it's, it's bad to love sin. Sin is all the bad things that we do that, that, that displease God, make God unhappy. We talk about that, and that's true, and we need to remember that. But children, church, one of the things that I learned in my life is, is that it's, it's not just greater to love God than we love the bad things that we want to do. It's greater to love God than to love the good things that God has given us. Does that make sense? Knowing God and, and loving God is greater than, than, than the good gifts that God gives us. I loved my family with all my heart. I loved my church. I loved to to serve them with all my heart. They were good gifts from God, but it was not until I learned to love God even more than, than I loved my family and my church and the other things that God had called me to do that I was able to to love my family and my church well. When my concern was to, to, to take pleasure in knowing who God is, I found that I could best love my family and my church. There, there is nothing greater or more valuable than knowing and loving and being faithful to the God who saved us. Both, both the sufferings and the celebrations of life will always fall short of the treasure that we have in Jesus. Children, that truly is the the, the great lesson that I learned through my time in prison, through my time being hated by by, by other people who bore the name Christian, 
through the, 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 the pain of, uh, of losing my first wife and, and even my sister. I came to understand that, 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 that even those dark times and, and even the highest points were nothing compared to how great it was to know the God who saved me. That's why you're here this morning. That's why your family brings you to church. That's why we come to worship together because we understand that the God that we worship is greater. He is greater than anything else that we will ever know. Anyone else we will ever come to know and we will know him forever. So how is it that we come to know him? How are we accepted by him? Through faith in who? Who died for us? Jesus, that's right. Jesus. Jesus gave his life so that we could know God and we could belong to him. So I pray for each one of you that if you don't know him already, that you will come to know him and that if you do know him, that, that even now, you begin to realize that, 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 that belonging to God is, 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 is greater than a, than a trip to Hershey Park. Belonging to God is, 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 is greater than Christmas morning. But belonging to God is, is greater than getting everything that you want for your birthday. Belonging to God, knowing God, is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. And you will belong to God for your entire lives. And then forever. Isn't that great news? Jesus loves us so much. Well, thank you for letting me come and speak with you this morning. Remember this book, Pilgrim's Progress? They have children's versions. You should read it. And then read this one when you're old enough. Maybe you are now. But it will, it's a great picture of what it means to know God and to be faithful. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in the life of John Bunyan, how you used him to proclaim the truth to, to, to the very people who were often neglected by the church in his day. Lord, we thank you for the lessons that he learned, for the, for the books that he wrote, all of which point us to you and to your word, the Bible. And Lord, I pray for this church, Lord, that you would be at work in our lives, Lord, that we would truly come to understand that, that, that knowing you, the treasure we have in you, is, is, is greater than, than that new car, that it's greater than, than, than the accolades that we may receive from our coworkers or our friends or our family members. It's, it's greater than the joys that we experience in this life. It's greater than the temporary pleasures that, that, that come when we sin. But, but knowing you is the greatest treasure, that, that we would live in a way that, that speaks to the world in the loudest possible terms that Jesus is Lord of our lives. May that be true in each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.